Good morning once again, and we again return to the Gospel of Mark this morning and begin a, a new chapter. If you brought your Bible and want to follow along in our passage today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7. Just to tell you a little story, a, a captain was on the bridge of a large naval vessel, and he saw a light ahead, and he was on a collision course, so he signaled, and the signal said, alter your course 10 degrees south. The reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, the captain got a little agitated and signaled again, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. And reply came back to him, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a seaman third class. Well, the captain was furious. He signaled back, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And then the reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, the religious leaders are again on a collision course with Jesus over their clean laws. They're about to run into a lighthouse. Follow along today in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him, Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem, and they had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribe asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. And he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you've handed down, and you do many things such as that. <clears throat> Jesus and his disciples, we could see a little map here, I'll tell you where they're at. So, uh, they left the shore here in a boat. They were supposed to go to Bethsaida, but this, if you remember, the storm blew them off course. They're now down here in a little town 
called Gennesaret on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Well, and uh, so <clears throat> we've got uh, way down here, some Pharisees came from Jerusalem and are there, and they're, they're watching Jesus, trying to trip him up and so on. And uh, so some of the Pharisees and scribes come down from Jerusalem and gather around Jesus to confront him about how they were not following the laws of ritual purity. And Jesus takes this opportunity that we just read here to talk about the Bible and uh, God's firmly established lighthouse they're about to run into. And along the way, we also learn Jesus' view of the Bible, which is pretty profound. I'd like to suggest three things Jesus says in this passage that we must do if the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. First, we must adjust our life to the Bible's authority. Second, we must understand the Bible's purpose. And third, we must see the central core of the Bible. All three of these need to be in place in order to really understand what God is saying here. The first thing we learn from Jesus is we must adjust our life to the Bible's authority. In this passage, Jesus views the scripture as our final authority in life. Acknowledging the authority of the Bible obviously is a major cultural issue to this day. People struggle with the authority of the Bible. And in this passage, when Jesus talks about the word of God, the commands of God, he's talking about the part of the Bible that modern people struggle with the most, the Hebrew Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament where Jesus uh, is around in the first, they had the Old Testament. And the issue that brought the authority of the Bible to the forefront that some of his were that some of his Jesus disciples were eating bread with unwashed hands. Notice if you look in Mark 7 in verses 3 and 4 Mark this is in parentheses Mark the writer is giving us uh, an aside. He's explaining what's going on. Uh, the disciples were eating with unwashed hands. This is not about hygiene. It's about ritual cleansing so the person could be approved by God. Washing your hands and other ritual washings in Israel signify that you were a holy and devout person. Not washing your hands made you spiritually unclean, unqualified to worship, and unapproved by God. When Mark writes this explanation, notice how he says in verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands and they wash all kinds of things. This is his explanation of what's going on. When Mark does that, he's mainly writing, it suggests to us, to a Gentile audience. If he were writing to Jews, this would not be necessary to mention. So, if we leave out Mark's explanation there, it, reads like, it would read like this. <clears throat> the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Note, right here, 
the scribes and Pharisees are technically not citing the Bible that they're violating in this complaint. They're citing the tradition of the elders. Five times in this passage, Jesus criticizes the tradition of the elders. Jesus is not against tradition per se. You can't really be against tradition. Uh, We can't do without tradition. For example, we have a tradition here that we meet for a worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. But what if I said one day, uh, maybe we'll have a worship service on Sunday, maybe not. Uh, We might meet at 10, maybe noon, I don't know. The result would be chaos. Uh, Tradition is a predictable pattern of life. Nothing wrong with tradition. He's not criticizing that. He's criticizing the tradition of the elders. What was that? The tradition of the elders was a set of rules um, that had and regulations that had grown up around the, what the Bible says. And they were these rules have been added for years and years. We've seen this before in Mark's gospel when they confronted Jesus about the Sabbath law. Uh, The rules they added to what God said, keeping the Sabbath holy, were trying to explain how to apply that. Um, For example, you know, Scripture says, uh, keep the Sabbath holy means rest on the Sabbath. How do we do that? What do we have to do to make sure that we're obeying God's word? The elders answered that by adding several hundred rules to that one commandment. And the laws they added, you see, over these many, many years became legal precedents that they cited when it looked like somebody wasn't obeying God's word. Look, and this is what's happening in Mark 7. how to be spiritually pure. The elders answered with a set of rules. Wash your hands before you eat anything. Wash your pots and pans for dinner and after dinner. There's only one problem. The rules and regulations they started to add, especially in regard to the ritual washings, weren't in the Bible. They grew up around it. And then they made it just as authoritative as the word of God itself. That's what Jesus is criticizing. The authority of the Bible stands alone, by itself, unique, from God, not man. That's the issue he's addressing here. In fact, Jesus is suggesting... that the rules they made around the scripture actually distract people from its purpose, from the purpose of the word of God, and contradict sometimes the biblical text itself. For example, the washing of hands before eating. Where in the Bible does it talk about that? Again, it's not about hygiene. It's about how do I present myself ritually pure before God? Now, in the Bible, you see, the only people who are told to wash their hands are the priests 
before they entered the tabernacle to make a sacrifice. Let me read you a passage about that. Exodus 30, 18 to 21. It says, you shall make a laver of bronze with its base of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. And Aaron and his sons, these are the priests, shall wash their hands and their feet from it. When they enter the tent of meeting to meet with God, to worship him, they shall wash with water so they will not die. Or when they approach the altar to minister by offering it up in smoke, sacrifice to the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they will not die. And it will be a perpetual statute for them, for Aaron and his descendants, the priests, throughout all generations. See, washing their hands and feet was a symbol of holiness. And God is saying to them, before you approach me, you must be cleansed. It's a symbol for being cleansed of sin. But here's what the elders did. They reasoned, you know what? If it's good enough for the priest, it's good enough for everybody. We should all wash our hands. <laughs> it got passed on and passed on as the tradition of the elders. By the time of Jesus, devout Jews were washing with water on all kinds of occasions, including before eating a meal. Why? Just to be sure. Just to be sure that we didn't miss anything. And so God will prove us. Just to be sure their ritual purity laws added to the scripture was an obsession. It became an obsession in Jewish culture. Their performance-based approval from God. Jesus cites another example. This word Corban, he refers to here. Uh, Corban simply refers to something that someone totally dedicated to God. It's God's. And the Bible teaches that anything dedicated or vowed to God is sacrosanct. It now belongs to God. Numbers 31 and 2, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, this is the word which the Lord commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds from his mouth. Jesus points out that the tradition of the elders developed a wonderful loophole for their personal benefit regarding that law. Uh, kind of tax shelter, if you will. If you dedicated money or property to God, you, the loophole was you could deny some, giving it to someone who was in need, like your mother or father, because, oh, sorry, I can't give it. It's now God's. Corbin can't give that to you. And Jesus said, by complying with the tradition of the elders, the rules that grew up around the scripture, you are actually contradicting the scripture when it says, honor your father and your mother. And then he said, uh, I can give you a hundred more examples of you doing the very same thing, but I won't. So why is Jesus so upset? Jesus said that they were teaching 
that the traditions and rules that grew up around the scripture, were, they were treating it as doctrine, as the same authority as the scripture. This is a remarkable statement. Jesus is saying they were teaching that their rules had the same authority as scripture. And in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, after Jesus said that they were teaching the traditions of men as if they were doctrines, he quotes Isaiah 29, 13 to describe them. When you do that, this is what you're doing. Isaiah 29, 13 says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship, their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Wow. What that says is profound. You know what it says? If we fail to honor the authority of the Bible, we fail to really worship God. That's what it says. That's what they were doing. If we let human traditions or what the experts say or even your heart says have equal authority to the scripture, we fail to worship God. We become our own authority, our own God. I don't like what it says. Probably a cultural thing. Tim Keller said recently, unless you have an authoritative view of the Bible, You've got a God you created. That's how serious this is in his confrontation with these religious leaders. It's extremely serious. And I know it's hard to swallow. We don't like the word authority. The authority of the Bible and the authority of God stand or fall together in our lives. And I'll tell you what, Jesus had an extremely high view of Scripture. We're going to look at that. Uh, Jesus does not view the Bible as a human product. I mean, humans wrote it. But inspired by the Spirit of God. They spoke from God. He said this a number of times, calling on the words that were written, written by the Holy Spirit. Spoke, David spoke through the Holy Spirit. And when we do not acknowledge and adjust our life to the Bible's authority, we dishonor God. What we do is we want God's word to adjust to us. That's what Jesus is criticizing here. They created all kinds of loopholes, all kinds of explanations of why the word of God did not apply to them. They didn't accept its ultimate authority. They thought they did. They said they did. Jesus said, no, you're not. And you're not worshiping God. 
if you go through the Gospels, this always, uh, <clears throat> this has impacted me over the years very deeply, actually. If you go through the Gospels, what Jesus says about the Bible is astounding. So as Mark is leading us, you know what this all comes down to is, and we're going to get to it in chapter 8. Just who do you think Jesus is? Uh, is he God in the flesh? Did he rise from the dead? If so, we might want to listen to what he has to say, which is the truth. Anyway, when I get to chapter 8, you'll, you'll see, you'll see you know, it, Mark is leading us somewhere. And the first eight chapters are all about, who is this? Who is Jesus? We Better decide who that is or nothing else is going to make sense to you. If you go through the Gospels, Jesus based all his thinking, all his actions, even the desires of his heart on the Bible. It's astounding, really. His mind his will, his emotions are all being impacted, influenced, and, and, and led by the scripture. Let's take those three one at a time, mind, will, and emotion. We see this in the realm of Jesus' thinking, his mind. You see, whenever Jesus encountered a question somebody brought to him, or an issue he's facing, the final authoritative word of Jesus was this in Greek, Agrapatai. It is written. That's his answer. Referring to the scripture. Jesus affirmed that what the scripture says supersedes any expert, scholar, cultural, or tradition, or personal feelings. What that says supersedes it all. In John 10.35, Jesus said the scripture, and again he's referring to the Old Testament, the scripture cannot be broken. You know what that means? The authority of the Bible cannot be dismissed, replaced, or made irrelevant. Oh, that doesn't apply so much today because we have a different culture, uh, cultural view of that. And in Matthew 5.18, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, jot, or stroke, tittle, shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Not a jot or a tittle of the law will pass away. Not a letter or part of a letter. To me, this has always been fascinating. Um, I think we got another slide here. Let's take a look at this. I'll, this will picture what he's saying. So here's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Well, here's, here's a letter. That's, that's the letter bait. Pulled it down. Well, not a letter or a tittle. Not a jot or a tittle. You know what a tittle is? This little piece right here on the bait. 
That's how specific he is about the word of God. If you took away the tittle, it would actually be a different Hebrew letter. Not a jot, not a letter, not a part of a letter. The bait is a bait. It's not a cough. That's what Jesus believed. (laughs) The word of God saturated Jesus' thinking, his mind. Second, the word of God guided Jesus' actions, his will. He based all his plans, all his decisions, all his deeds on the scripture. One amazing place you see this, and there are many, one amazing place is in Matthew 26, 53 and 54. The soldiers, where the soldiers arrive to arrest Jesus. And he said at that point, he could call 12 legions of angels, but then, you know, if, if I did, how could the scripture be fulfilled? Jesus refers to the scripture to determine what he will do at a time like that. Finally, the word of God filled Jesus' heart, his emotions, his feelings. Jesus did not rely on his own feelings or human drives to give him strength, but on the power and authority of God's word. Take, for example, when he got hungry. And the devil's trying to tempt him by, come on, make some food. He's hungry, desiring bread. Could have, could have done it. Could have made himself some bread. But instead he quotes the scripture and says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's my food. Now, in Jesus' view, every word of the scripture from God himself was the bread that sustained him. Let me go on. Let's jump ahead. When Jesus is carrying his own cross, in Luke 23, 30, his life strength is ebbing out of him. He falls down. He sees some women weeping for him and quotes from Hosea 10.8. Where do you get words at a time like that? And when Jesus is on the cross in great agony of body and soul, he quotes Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, just before he dies, he quotes Psalm 31.5, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Do you know what this means? Let's put it this way. If, If you were suddenly plunging off a cliff, and death looked very near, what would you cry out? You don't have time to think about what to do or say. Here, listen to me. What comes out of you is what's already in you. 
in your heart. The real depths of your heart are revealed at times like that, at times when life is going nuts. What's coming out of you, see? I got to tell you, I mean, Jesus' mind, heart, and will were so saturated with the truths, narratives, images, warnings, promises, and songs of Scripture that when he was stabbed, he bled Scripture. He faced everything with Scripture. His identity was based on Scripture. His life was based on Scripture. Do you think he felt it was important? Well, here's one lesson for us to take away from this. For God's word to give us life, bread, comfort, strength, and help us when we need it, it is extremely important that we move as much of it as we can from our desk or shelf to our heart. Very important. You're not going to have time to look at your concordance when life is all of a sudden crushing you. You're not even going to want to. You know what's going to happen? Whatever you've planted in there, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you believed in Jesus, he's going to bring that to mind. Don't, rem- don't forget, Jim, I am with you always. Don't be afraid. I will strengthen you, help you, uphold you with my victorious right hand. And if it's not there, you're not going to have access, really. It's extremely important. Jesus didn't have to go to the scrolls to figure out where does it say that now? I know God said it somewhere. Where did he say that? And what it is exactly he said? It was here. And from the depths of his heart, you'll hear the word. The word must be in us in order to bear its fruit in our life. Psalm 119, 9 and 11. I could go to many, many places that talk about this concept. Psalm 119, 9, 19, 11. The psalmist says, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or Psalm 119, 52. I have remembered your ordinances, meaning the word, ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Extremely important. So I encourage you to, to memorize God's word. Start with passages that God has already used to encourage you. Commit them to memory. You're going to need them again and again and again. I started doing this when I first came to Christ. How old am I now? I don't know, 40 plus years in the Lord. I could tell you story after story after story of how God has used that to help me, strengthen me, pick me up, 
lead me, guide me. Even coming to this church, being called to this church, I, got, I will tell you, came as a result of God speaking to me in his word. It's no trifle. It's extremely important. A lamp unto our feet. Which way are you going to go? How are you going to decide that? All I want to say today is the authority of the Bible and the authority of Jesus stand together. You can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus and not accept the scripture as your authority. can't do it. You can't follow Jesus and reject the Bible that he based his whole life on. You can't. So what are you following? In John chapter 8, 31 and 32, Jesus was saying to the Jews who believed him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now I have to apologize. If we stop here, it's possible we'll misunderstand what following Jesus means. Because we not only have to adjust our life to the authority of the Bible, not the reverse, we also, Jesus wants us, <laughs> this passage, to know the purpose of the Bible. That's where we'll go off track very quickly. And I apologize because unfortunately I don't, I have to stop here in the hopes that you'll be here next time. I hope when we'll talk about what Jesus is saying about the purpose and central core of the Bible, that is what <laughs> we need in order to really pursue uh, God's intended work of his word in our lives. So come back, please, next week. Let's pray. Father, your word, you tell us, is firmly established. Your word stands alone in authority and life-giving power to those who seek and love you. Would you please help us to honor and worship you by adjusting our life to your word and not your word to our life? Help us to be like Jesus, whose every thought, decision, and desire was informed by your word, not by cultural pressures, politics, or even devout men. Fill our hearts and minds with your word, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.